So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how is this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Script, the podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch and take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Freudian Scripts. Even though we are wrapped up with our season for the year, we couldn't miss a spooky season. Uh, so we wanted to come back with a an episode. And even though it's November, we missed Halloween by a few days, doesn't mean we have to end spooky season. So we're excited to bring an extra episode today on true crime. And it's no surprise that people are obsessed with true crime. I feel like we really do see it everywhere, so much so that it's one of the most popular categories, whether it's TV shows, books, and of course, podcasts. Um, And some TV shows now are even about people making podcasts about true crime. (laughs) So today we're going to kind of listen to some clips from two popular shows about exactly that and try to figure out a little bit more about why people are so into true crime as a genre. Yeah. And it's kind of thinking about like the meta levels of like people being interested in true crime and the different medium, but then also thinking about (laughs) podcasting as a medium and how that has really exploded over the last several years or maybe decade or so. Um, But the interest in true crime is not necessarily new, but seems to have just kind of exploded or at least be more easily accessible in forms of like podcasts, which you could just download on your phone and listen to on your way to work or while you're going on a walk, just like very easy to access that content now. Very true. Not new. Um, And at a recent Pew survey found that about a third of podcast listeners in the US, so around 34%, said that they regularly listened they regularly listened to podcasts about true crime. And this was by far one of the largest chunks of like categories that people listen to. And when we think about other topics like going towards sports and politics, there was really a big drop off after that. So this is one of the most popular categories that people are really tuning into. And that is an increase from previous years. Um, but like you mentioned, I think that this is a topic that has been around, like whether it's like books or new, actually just like the the news, like people mm-hmm. really tune in to news that are about uh, true crime stories. So whether it's like people being kidnapped or murdered, those seem to be very captivating for people as well. Um, and then now when we're thinking about like the podcast in particular, um, interestingly, there was a survey about people who do follow like news or true crime and other outlets or other medium. And about 44% of respondents admitted that they had a quote unquote favorite serial killer. And alarmingly, 67% mentioned that they would like the opportunity to chat with one, which that is, you know, speaking of spooky, <laughs> I think that's pretty creepy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think this just is a good representation of like among this genre, people get very, very into it. I mean, I think we see like this portrayed in media, but it's somewhat based on real life potentially as people who 
become kind of like obsessive over serial killers or like write them letters or, you know, that's kind of the, on the one end extreme of it. But there is just this like fascination with wanting to understand like the criminal mind. And um, there's other ways we've talked about on the podcast, like whether it's watching TV shows that are fictional, like Law and Order or Criminal Minds or, you know, some of the movies we've covered about serial killers, like that is clearly something that people are interested in. But these are like true stories of like things in real life that have happened, which is a slightly different take. Exactly. And we'll dig in a bit today. You know, it is a mini session, but we'll kind of get into it a little bit as to why this topic maybe captivates people. Um, And I think similar to that 67% of people wanting to chat with serial killers, there have been instances of people who do become, I guess, pen pals or go in and interview people who are incarcerated for, um, you know, serial murder. Um, A lot of times to kind of get at trying to figure out, right? Like, why do people do this? Like, why is this happening? And I think that is a piece of maybe why people are drawn to this. But to help us kind of set the stage and, you know, kind of doing it from this, you know, different lens of looking at it through TV show about podcasts, like Dr. Fran mentioned, very meta. Um, We're going to start off with some clips and then talk about it more deeply. Yeah. So both of these uh, shows we'll be talking about are like Dr. Sam mentioned, like centered around people doing podcasts about true crime in some way and in slightly different ways. Um, So the first show we'll talk about is only murderers in the building, which is a Hulu show that came out. So I guess I was going to say recently, but it's on its third season. So, but it's, it's a newer show. Um, And the show, if you haven't seen it centers around um, a few neighbors who live in the same building where a suicide has occurred, which they end up learning is actually a murder, and they decide to start a podcast to, you know, help solve the crime. And and they're all <laughs> true crime fans to begin with. Um, so there, there. I think there's this aspect, and we'll probably talk about this with both clips, where people are so invested or so interested in the true crime genre that they decide themselves, like, oh, I could do that, or like, I want to yeah. do that, and that's like exactly what we see here. So let's listen to a quick clip of these three prior to this strangers deciding that they want to potentially start a podcast. We should do our own podcast. I'm sure that every true crime podcaster wishes that he was on the case right from the start. And here we are, you know what? I should be recording this right now. Well, right now, the only thing that matters is that there's a killer on the loose. If we're right, then he could be living somewhere in our building. Oh, that is a very good line. Badly delivered, but a good line. So do it again for me. And this is what I need. I want you to really hit killer. You know? Oh. Just killer. There's a killer loose somewhere. No need to scream. Mm. That's too hard. You know what I need you to do? Really punch somewhere. Okay, there's a... Give me an action. Action. Killer on the loose somewhere. Okay, do it again, but slower. And with, you know, like well, a I human. This is, if I there's anyone stuff. left to care, there is nothing for me anymore. Is that? I'm just tired of feeling lonely. I don't want to be lonely anymore. This is his. There's mail in here to Tim Kono. And other notes. Attempts to get his last words right? Looks like we have our answer. So that's it? We're done? No podcast? Back to Oklahoma. 
So in that scene, they've essentially taken it upon themselves to go start investigating of like, is it really a suicide? So they're digging through the trash to see if they can find any evidence. And they come to the end and find what looks to be a suicide note. So they're like, oh, no, I guess we can't do this podcast because it's not actually a murder. But you can kind of see and I think this comes up and we'll talk about this a bit more of like this um, almost like taking advantage of the situation, right? Like, oh, well, we happen to be in a place where the murder occurred. Let's go ahead and record ourselves and see if we can, you know, make a, make something out of it or, or do something that might be popular. And like excitement, right? Like they were very excited starting about it, kind of losing, kind of losing track of the fact that there is like a human victim, mm-hmm. right. That's related to this crime that has occurred. Um, they're even kind of doing like takes over and over again. Right. Um, and Mabel, the female character in this scene, who's played by Selena Gomez, she actually does know the victim, though. He's like a childhood friend of hers. So for her, it's also a little more personal, I think, than the other two characters who, um, you know, just know this person as a passerby, as a neighbor, and they're kind of caught up in just like solving it. The three of them are also kind of bound together by their love of a different true crime podcast. And so I think they kind of see this as their opportunity to create their own podcast that could be popular and like save the day, right? I think Mabel's also invested because she wants to solve the murder of her friend, but you kind of see that there's like those other layers there as well. Yeah. And we, I mean, we can't fault people too much on being like, I should do a podcast because obviously here we are (laughs) doing our own podcast. Um, And and ours was similarly just like that. It happened. You know, we are strangers (laughs) and (laughs) came, came over love of a true crime podcast. No, but, um, (laughs) but I think like to, again, to the point of just like, uh, yeah, kind of taking advantage of like this pretty gruesome, terrible situation of like someone has died in your building and you think it might be a murder and then being like, okay, let's, you know, record while we're investigating it. First of all, none of them have any credentials to be investigating a murder. Um, (laughs) but they're like, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) like failed actor and like like a Broadway producer. And I don't know what Mabel is student or I'm not sure (laughs) the time. None of them are investigators. None of them are detectives. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) So, you know, I think that's a great setup and shows kind of their interest in true crime and how it launches into their podcast. The next show that we're going to be discussing in the next clip comes from Peacock's show based on a true story. And I feel like there are parallels between the two shows because they're both about three people who come together to start a podcast about true crime. But in this Hulu show, a couple, Ava and Nathan, they discover that their plumber and new friend is a serial killer, the West Side Ripper. And so, you know, this makes a lot of sense. You realize that your new friend is a serial killer. And so what else do you do but go to him and basically blackmail slash threaten to reveal his identity to the police unless he makes a podcast with you. So that's what Ava and Nathan do. They kind of loop in the West Side Ripper, who's also named Matt. um, And let's hear them discuss creating the podcast. Look, you guys want to half-ass this like everything else you do. That's fine. Me, when I do something, I want to do it properly. So, before we start, let's talk marketing. Like, if we can't reveal who we are, how do we sell this? Well, you know, no one ever went broke betting on America's obsession with murder. So, plus, we, uh, we have a really good title. It's Interview with a Serial Killer. Boom. Oh. She, that was her. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was great. Okay, but guys, I actually had a really exciting idea on that. What about... 
based on a true story. Mm. People love that shit. It could be the ultimate true crime podcast. Right, and we could even make a universe out of it. A what? A universe, like, uh, based on a true story, Miami. Based on a true story, Atlanta. Just like the Housewives. Wow. We do a serial killer in each city. You know, here's what I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe we just try and, like, master this first before we start talking spin-offs and, you know. Okay, yeah, but you know what? For later, we could, uh, we could do something really cool with a subtitle based on a true story. The West Side Ripper Speaks. You know, just like, uh, I don't know, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally like Top Gun Maverick. Great, okay, well look, let's sit. <clears throat> We're gonna use a voice filter, we'll add that. And okay, and uh, who do we say you are? I mean, you're interviewing me, right? That's We're not gonna reveal who we are or, or how we know you. That's part of the cell. We're gonna give details each week, only the killer knows. Um, and, you know, it's gonna create a lot of buzz. People are gonna go crazy for more info. Yeah. Okay, great, great. Let's do this. <clears throat> Let's start from the beginning. Recording. Who are you? I'm the West Side Ripper. I've killed seven women that the police are aware of. And at least 20 more. So what you don't see in that clip is Ava and Nathan look horrified. Obviously, this is the first they're hearing of that, of just how scary Matt is. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, how do you get to this point with this somewhat unknown serial killer and are just like chatting really casually, like, oh, what should our marketing strategy be? Instead yeah. of like, how do we ensure you don't murder us? Exactly, and he has threatened them several times, actually. Like after they bring him into this, they're like, well, we're gonna do it this way or, you know, make sure, like if I go down, you go down or if something happens to me, like you get a knife in the back. So he makes it very clear, you know, like he's not a good guy. Um, Ava and Nathan, as you can kind of hear, like they're excited as well, just like we heard in the first clip, like they're really excited to be like kind of in this scenario in a sense. And they also are having a lot of financial difficulties. And so they see this as hopefully their chance to capitalize on like the market of true crime podcasts who have like, you know, led to certain podcasters like being rich now, right? And famous. And then for Matt, the serial killer, he's like, you can hear him talking about too, like he like really wants this to be a whole thing. And I think they're all aiming for different success. Like Matt wants infamy and Ava and Nathan kind of want money. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely hear that. And again, like, I don't think this show is based on a true story, right? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> um, it's not. <laughs> so it just feels very like outlandish um, yeah. of like, really, are you willing to go that far? Like there's other things you could do for money besides work with a serial killer to make a podcast. I think that's a good point, Dr. Fran. And some of the points that we'll talk about, about like kind of the ethics of true crime and true crime podcasts. Um, I think that based on a true story is definitely a commentary kind of in general on America's love of true crime. Um, and then I want to listen to one other small kind of short clip where like you were mentioning, you hear Matt talking about like selling the podcast. Here we hear Matt and Nathan arguing about the edit for the podcast. And I think this gives you an even better sense of how Matt sees the project, who is the serial killer, Matt. This is my story. I'm trying to protect my brand. 
And you keep uh, wasting time cutting to these other characters. They're good characters. Nobody cares. Okay. You know what they do care about? Me. They care about me. Anytime you cut away to the cops or the victim's family, they're just gonna fast forward until they get to the serial killer shit. So let's just skip what they want. <laughs> if only you all could see Dr. Fran's face. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm also making the face because there is some truth to that, sadly. And I think the true crime genre and um, I guess like the genre where crime, whether it's true or fictional, is portrayed is like has gotten a lot of um, like criticism, especially recently about the focus on the killer or the perpetrator and like kind of hiding away the victim or, you know, almost like... um, popularizing or making celebrities out of killers. Like I'm thinking about like, there was a lot of backlash after the Dahmer TV show that came out on Netflix for that reason. And just how victims are portrayed and kind of, yeah, like dehumanized in a way or like thought of as not as important of a character as the killer. Exactly. And I think that based on a true story definitely is throughout the show has that commentary. And I think Matt, you know, he's a serial killer and he is trying to capitalize now, like in addition to his murders, trying to roll out this podcast and become like even more famous or infamous than he already is. And you even hear him call like it his brand. Right. And he is really leaning into that idea of like, I know that people just care. Like that's what this, that's what makes this podcast exciting. Right. They get to hear it from the horse's mouth to Mm -hmm. say like they get to hear it from the serial killer about the things that I've done. And he even calls the other people like cops and the victims and their family. He calls them characters even, right? you know, so just further like kind of that like dehumanization, like you mentioned, Dr. France. So I thought that that was a really interesting clip to hear the serial killers take on like what he wants the edit to sound like. Um, I do want to add, so the actor who plays the serial killer, Matt, his name, he's a British actor named Tom Bateman And when I was doing research for this uh, session, there was actually an article where when they first approached him to do this show, he was very like hesitant and kind of skeptical. He, he mentions he wasn't very sure about the premise because he didn't realize how popular true crime was. He kind of states that in the UK, it's really not as popular that this seems to be like a, a a U.S. phenomenon, like the level Mm -hmm. of popularity. And so he was kind of like, are people really into this? And then he started looking into it more too and was like, wow, okay, like this is something people are really into. And he said, even after doing the show, like it's still like a genre he's not that into. (laughs) You know, he's just like, I don't get it. (laughs) But I thought that that was kind of interesting, like his perspective as the actor and also being like from outside the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Like if you're someone who listens to podcasts, odds are you've listened to a true crime podcast, or at least, you know, of like some of the big ones out yes. there. And I think true crime may have even contributed to podcasts becoming more popular, like, or maybe they just mm-hmm. happen to, you know, coincide, but I'm thinking of like serial is probably like a lot of people's first podcast they listen to or only podcast they've ever listened to. And that was like in this true crime genre. So really thinking about like how those have really like, have really became intertwined in a way. Yeah, and we've heard some little snippets, you know, whether from Only Murders or now based on a true story in those clips about some of the things that might lead people to be drawn to true crime. We hear Matt say it's like him, right? He's the attraction as the killer. But so why do people, like, why do we, and maybe even uniquely here in the U.S., like, why do we like true crime so much? Or why are we drawn to it? 
Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of reasons and each person, this may, some for, for some of our listeners, they, some of it may resonate with you. Some of it may not. And, and for each person, it's going to be unique, but generally there are some trends that we see or some like explanations that might make sense. And I think a big category is that like, as humans, we have this desire to like understand and make sense of a world that doesn't always make sense. And, you know, horrible things happen. And um, yeah. so there are some ways in which things like true crime can help us try to make sense of, of the world in general or our surroundings or the things that are happening. And I will say full disclosure, and I think you've heard us talk about this on the podcast before, but I am a true crime fan. I guess you could say like, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like super into it and I don't listen to a lot or seek out a lot of true crime content. Actually more like more recently, I do so less than maybe I did in the past. But as a person who does like true crime, I can say that I think this is one that does resonate with me. I think, you know, obviously I'm also a psychologist. And so I am kind of like driven and curious, like to kind of understand like human behavior, even that that's like maybe hopefully more of like an outlier um, type behavior. So kind of understanding the minds and motives of people who um, commit true crime or, you know, kind of like in these examples with killers. Um, and I think that relates to what you're saying, Dr. Fran, just kind of tr- like we're kind of wired to try to make sense of what is happening around us and then to kind of understand like potential threats. And I know it sounds kind of silly, but I've talked to like friends or family too, when they ask like why I'm interested in it, it does kind of almost help you feel like, well, if I know what is out there, maybe I can better prepare myself for these like potential threats, right? Even though it's also scary at times, like doesn't make you feel like comfortable, but you're like, oh, maybe I'm learning things that will be helpful in the future. Yeah. And and that's what I think a lot of people in like the research that has been done, that they resonate with that idea. And especially like women tend to be more likely to kind of consume the true true crime media than men. And women are also disproportionately impacted by violent crime. So um, there does seem to be a relationship there. And about um, in a survey of people who listen to true crime podcasts or, you know, consume true crime content, uh, 76% said that the true crime helped them feel like they could avoid similar situations happening to them in the future. So by like consuming this information, it's like, okay, now I'm prepared of like, if this were to ever happen, if I was to get kidnapped or, you know, someone was trying to attack me, I've watched this enough that I could, you know, either prevent it or, you know, get out of it or call for help. Um, it's like this, I don't know if it's a false sense, cause maybe it's accurate. Uh, but it's this sense of like, okay, now I'm prepared if these terrible things were to happen to handle it. I do wonder about that because I can relate to that. I feel like it does make you think like, oh, maybe I would be prepared, but I don't know if that is accurate. Like if that does better prepare one, I don't know. Yeah. I hope there's not a way to do a study on that. (laughs) No, I feel like it would not be ethical. No. Um, and I think similarly, there's like, there's other ways about kind of making sense of the world. Something else you, you were mentioning, Dr. Sam, like I hear a lot of people talk about like, it's interesting to like try to solve puzzles of like wanting to like understand, like, and so I feel like there's that, that element there too, of trying to understand and solve, like, why is someone doing this or, um, what happened? And so I'm like, like thinking about like escape rooms or like, right. Like, it's like, yeah. how do we put these things together to find like a resolution, which I think is another aspect of this is that often not always. And I think especially more recent true crime has shifted maybe away from always having like a resolution. Um, but when they do have it, oftentimes that feels like comforting or reassuring to like hear that this horrible thing happened, but hear that like justice has been served, the person has been caught, um, and that there's kind of like a, a happy ending, um, or at least a like just a justified ending. 
That's true. It's a lot more unsettling if you're engaging in true crime content where it was like unsolved, right? Mm -hmm. Or ongoing. I feel like that kind of, you know, one of the things that we'll also talk about is that some people, it kind of does have um, like a level of like excitement, like being engaged in an exciting topic or something that might bring you like some kind of stimulation, but from a distance, right? So that it's like safe. Um, And so you can, you know, kind of go along for that like journey, but then have that resolution come versus like if it is ongoing or a cold case, it's like much more unsettling. And some true crime content like podcasts and things like that, they'll kind of warn if it's like an unsolved Hmm. like true crime case that they're going to get into versus solved. Because I think some people maybe don't like to have the lack of resolution, right? It's a lot more uh, like scary and makes people feel um, a lot less at ease. It's maybe not the same. It's not maybe what they're looking for if they're coming for it to kind of be able to process these fears like in a safe setting from a distance, but also have that like wrap up. Yeah. And I can definitely relate to that. Like I, um, I was with someone not too long ago who they were, I think there is a show called maybe unsolved or cold case or something. Um, and we were watching some episodes and I was like, at the end of every single one, I was like, dang it. Like there's no resolution here. Like I want to know who did it. And I want to have that sense of like justice being served, but also like solving the mystery. Um, so like I found myself like definitely not getting as much satisfaction out of that as I would have the exact same show, but that just ended with them actually solving and identifying the murderer. And I think that that relates even to non-true crime, but like suspense, like crime, mm-hmm. mystery kind of thing. Like, I feel like it's a similar thing, right? Like wanting that resolution. Um, people are often upset if it's like a cliffhanger, so to speak, like in more fictionalized worlds. Um, but you also brought up another point of this like sense of justice. So another reason why people might be drawn to true crime and related to like resolution is like sometimes it can kind of um, people are really invested in these outcomes. And especially if, you know, kind of the bad people, so to speak, like quote unquote, like the bad people or the people who have harmed others when they're brought to justice, this again is like kind of a nice resolution for people, right? Like they are seeking out to know like, okay, unfortunately this horrible thing happened. And now there's like this reinforcement of right versus wrong because the person who did it was caught and punished. Um, So that's another reason that sometimes people are drawn to the true crime genre as well. Yeah. And, and this next one, it's like hard to say in a way that doesn't sound like selfish. Um, but there is, um, I guess this this sense of like watching these horrible things happen to other people reminds you of like, Oh wow, how lucky am I that I, you know, whatever I do have, um, that I'm not in that situation. So I think there can also be this sense of like, um, I guess, um, like separating yourself from the things that are happening of like, yes, this happens in the world, but like not to me, or like I'm very fortunate to, to not be in that situation or to have the things that I do have in my life. I think you're right, Dr. Brown. It sounds kind of weird to say that, but in the reading we did that that's often one of the reasons that they find people are are drawn to true crime. Sometimes it's like they can learn and hear about these stories, but also realize like, Oh, like it's not me. So I'm fortunate in that way. Um, also can sound kind of flippant and I think is related to uh, some of the criticism of the genre is that like some people do get a sense of enjoyment or, you know, kind of have that excitement from these topics that are very dangerous. um, But again, from that safe distance, so they can kind of be a part of the story, but 
while they're not actually in danger or being harmed and kind of can find enjoyment in that and like get stimulation from that or maybe even reduce their anxiety by um, engaging in this content. And that is another reason that people are drawn to it or can be drawn to it. Yeah. And, and we talk a little bit about that in our psychology of horror episode. It's kind of similar of like as that people um, may enjoy the feeling of like having a lot of like physiological activation of like feeling very anxious mm-hmm. and then having a resolution of that um, or being able to do that in a way that's not um, actually dangerous. So there's something and, and that tends to be more likely for people who are kind of like just generally thrill seekers or people who like to, you know, experience that rush of adrenaline, you might have that same reaction with something like true crime. Exactly. So perhaps some of these, if you're a true crime fan, or if you like to listen to true crime podcasts, maybe some of these reasons resonated with you. Maybe some didn't, maybe there are other reasons, you know, I'm always curious too, like why people uh, enjoy the things that they do. Um, so we've talked about some of, we've talked a bit about some of those topics, but now I think it's interesting to kind of pivot and we've alluded to some of these, but thinking about maybe some of the potential consequences or ethical conundrums that may arise, um, related to people's interest in true crime. Yeah. I mean, I think like we were talking about this before we hopped on the podcast, but there have been examples where like in very rare instances, people who listen to true crime are, or create true crime podcasts are actually able to like help investigators solve murders. But on the flip side, there are also definitely ways in which this could interfere with investigations. And, um, there have been instances where, yeah, like then people if, who are involved in true, like listening to true crime, true crime podcasts will start flooding the like helplines or the tip lines with yes. like all this information that's not actually relevant. And so it's like actually preventing the investigators from being able to like sort through what's helpful and what's not. So I think there are some ways that that could go like too far on the other end. Kind of like in a meta way, again, like we've, you've heard of armchair psychologists, people who practice psychology that are not like less licensed or you know, um, trained in that way, but I've also heard it referred to as armchair detectives. So people Uh who are on like, you know, Reddit or whatever kind of forums also trying to engage in like solving the crime. And like you mentioned, like an only murders in the building, maybe not having the correct credentials to do. So it kind of sounds like something like that. Yeah. And, and there's actually a quick clip we'll play from only murders in the building where the, uh, one of the cops that they're working with or that they interact with very clearly is not happy that they have kind of like inserted themselves in the investigation. So let's take a listen to that quickly. Are you associated with the deceased? No, no, we don't know him. We're neighbors in the building. We live in the building. Yes. Mm-hmm, so you don't know him? Just in passing. Not his past? No, yes. When we passed by him. Before he passed. That's right. Um, but are you, are you... Uh, sure that it was suicide? It doesn't make sense. I mean, even in passing, he didn't seem the type. So you don't know him? <laughs> Look, you're probably just starting your investigation, looking into all the forensics. God damn it. What fucking podcast are you all hooked on? Huh? I swear to God, if I meet one more true crime nut, this is suicide. It's textbook. Residue powder on the hands, evidence of financial stress. We even found a note on his laptop saying he's out of here, which is exactly where you all need to be. Now, I, it's not. But it, you, no, 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 it's not. So go on ahead and enjoy your cute little lives and be glad that you still have one. You goddamn true crime fucking numbnuts. So she's clearly fed up. 
with them. Yeah. <laughs> this detective is upset. You know, like many of the things we talk about, I feel like it's not always so black and white. Like I'd be curious to hear from like detectives or police officers about how they feel mm-hmm. related to this phenomenon. As Dr. Fran mentioned, there have been some instances where these podcasts, and I will say at least of the ones I'm familiar with, typically when they have been helpful in solving a crime, they often have been cold cases. So kind of bringing to light new evidence, new witnesses. Um, so maybe not interfering as much with an active investigation. Mm-hmm. Cause I wonder if that makes a difference too, maybe, you know, but interesting to think about. Yeah, definitely. Well, and then another potential consequence of, of like having a lot of true crime consumption is that for some people there can be mental health impacts. So like we talked about, like, consuming this content in in it for some people in a positive way, like increases anxiety or like excitement in that it also helps decrease that. Um, But for some people, they may experience just like increased anxiety in general, right? Like if you are all of a sudden consuming all this content about all these horrible things that could happen, and then like you try to go to sleep at night and you hear something. And of course you're thinking about all the shows or podcasts you've listened to that may interfere with sleep. It may cause this like general feeling of anxiety or feeling unsafe in situations and just being like hypervigilant or on edge. Um, So the articles that are kind of out there about this, you know, recommend like, you know, pay attention to like what your like appropriate level is like for me, that's probably one of the reasons I am not a huge true crime person. Like I can do a little bit more of the, you know, fictional, like a criminal minds or a law and order Mm -hmm. SVU, but even that content, I know for myself, I cannot watch a ton of it. Or, um, if I'm, yeah, home alone, like that's just, you know, not a, not an ideal content for me to consume. (laughs) I know myself. And we know about Dr. Franz, um, you know, feeling scared about certain things. I will say, even though I tend to enjoy some of that content more than Dr. Fran, I can relate to that and it being very situational. Like it's also not what I'm watching like before bed or if I'm alone or, you know, like when it gets dark and I have to go walk my dog or things like that, you know, <laughs> not the best situation. I will say I get, I feel scared too. So. <laughs> And then related to some of the consequences, there can also be some ethical concerns with true crime. So as we, I think, have been discussing throughout today's mini session, it can come across as making light of real suffering. There is a distance, right? When you're listening or engaging with this content, you maybe know it's a true story, but you're so removed and separated from Mm -hmm. it that I feel like it can... Um, almost maybe blend right with like fiction and you know blur with like what is real and not real like it's kind of easier for people to separate um there is the criticism that it puts more emphasis on the killers and perpetrators versus the victims and um you know uh i think that that's what we heard in the clip too kind of being criticized from um based on a true story um i think based on a true story, their goal really is to kind of make that criticism of the true crime genre. And let's listen to Matt briefly uh, talk about how he feels about that. All right, let's ask the big questions. Who's worse? The guy that puts the bolt in the cow's skull, guilty, or, or the people that sit around a restaurant and eat it. So pretty graphic analogy there. Um, But he's kind of saying like, who is worse? Like me, who is killing the cow or the people that are like devouring it, right? Mm. Um, I don't think he is not (laughs) the guilty party here by any means. But I think the commentary here is like, he's, I think he's trying to say like, yes, I'm the one doing the action, but it's really for all these people. 
in the podcast sense, I get that. But really, when he's out there murdering, I don't think that that's what he has in mind. <laughs> so um, he makes that statement here when he's trying to argue with them about trying to be a little more uh, provocative in the podcast mm-hmm. um, and trying to make their podcast stand out. But I think like an interesting criticism is he's trying to say like, okay, yeah, it's bad. I'm guilty. It's bad to shoot the cow. But maybe there's also some other guilt on the other parties as well. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And and I, especially when we think about how much notoriety sometimes like the killers yes. can get of like, that's kind of reinforcing that of like, are you perpetuating um, the behavior by making it like a famous for some killer killers that is like a, a thing of like being famous or, you know, not being caught and, and that thing. So it, it may perpetuate that. And that's what Matt is seeking here, especially now with this podcast. Um, we'll listen to one other short clip from Matt where he kind of um, talks about like where he wants the podcast to go. Our selling point here is that I am still active. I'm out there watching. Who's next? You feel that? See, it sells jeopardy, danger, stakes. That's what's going to get our fans excited. We're not comfortable being a part of a project that's promising future murders. Guess you should have thought about that before you got into business with a fucking serial killer. I think he makes a good point there. (laughs) He does. And this show, again, fictional and hyperbolic, but that's definitely an ethical issue of this show, (laughs) is that this couple, Ava and Nathan, they have chosen to conceal his identity and work with him and help him to profit even further from the murders um, in addition to their own profit. Right. And so that's what they're, they, they basically made him promise that he would not murder anymore. Yeah. And he's basically, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Okay. I'll just stop. Um, But he's basically making the pitch that, well, that's what the people want. Like, even if I'm not going to murder anymore, they don't know that. And then you hear there where they're like, we're not comfortable with that. And I agree. Like, right. Dr. Fran, like, I feel like they are just as much in the wrong in this particular instance here. Well, I think that is about it for today's session on true crime. It's been fun to cover, uh, to come back for a bonus session during the spooky season and hope everyone had a good and spooky Halloween. If you haven't had enough of the spooky season and interested in some more spooky sessions, please check out our previous episodes. We have The Psychology of Horror, Evil, Sixth Sense, Silence of the Lambs, and Shutter Island for a couple of our other more creepy sessions. And we will be probably be back in December again for another bonus episode for the holiday season. And then you can look for us back in the spring for our next season, I think season five. Mm, exciting. <laughs> and please don't forget to check us out on social media. We are at Freud Scripts Pod on all the things and you can find additional bonus sessions um, before next season. You'll definitely hear about them there first when we release them. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review. Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, creative director, Eric, at Webmaster Dog. We did it.